This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles there to the 18th chapter of Acts uh, today. If you're new, we are walking through the book of Acts uh, together, and we've come to chapter 18. There's a great message here about the encouragement that we find in Christ. I think discouragement is one of the things that the enemy most uses to uh, sap our, our joy. And so we see here in chapter 18 a great message about uh, how God is the ultimate encourager. And we also see something here about, um, about a strategy for missions. The scene is Corinth, which was a city in, in first century Greece, and it was a major cosmopolitan port city. Um, it was filled <laughs> with every kind of sin imaginable. And in fact, you know, when we read the New Testament, sometimes, I mean, we tend to think that no other culture has had all the issues as the culture that we're living in. But it's just not true. Cities like Corinth, like Ephesus, like we're going to talk about in chapter 19, you know, these cities had every kind, every sin that you can think of that's around today, including sexual sins, all these things were in these, these Greco-Roman cities in the first century world. Corinth was like the Wild West. It was the Wild West uh, morally. It was the Wild West spiritually. Every kind of false religion, you know, imaginable uh, was, was there. And so it, these, these cities that we're reading about in Acts, they are just very contemporary to uh, 21st century American culture. So let's look at the first 11 verses of chapter 18 of Acts uh, together today. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, because, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned to the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles." And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Craig Larson of Christianity Today magazine uh, tells about 
having a, a coffee table book of uh, the national parks, and he had it open to this incredible scene from the mountains out west. And so there's this sparkling, clear blue sky and a, a, a mountain lake in the foreground and the snow-capped peaks uh, of the mountains behind this lake. And he was just so enthralled by the majestic beauty of this photo that he kept, he kept it open there on the table. And it was there for a few days, and every time he passed by it, you know, he was just enthralled once again. But after a few days, he sat down, and he was going to you know, turn to a different scene. And when he got ready to turn the page, he felt that the page on the right side was thick. And it, and it, it dawned on him, you know, this is one of those fold-over pages. And so he opened it up, and it added another eight inches to the spread. And then he did the same thing to the left side, and it added another eight inches. And so another 16 inches were added to this incredibly beautiful, majestic uh, scene. You know, there are times in the Christian life that are like that, when God just sort of unfolds something new. And, and we see that there is much more to him and much more to his kingdom and much more to his purposes for our lives than anything we have previously imagined. And ironically, sometimes those moments come, God shows us those things when we are discouraged. And that's what we see here in chapter 18 because Paul is going through a time of, of discouragement and we see here that God comes to him in the night and just lifts him up and, and encourages him. And so we're going to talk about that. And we also see something here about a strategy for missions that doesn't just impact what was happening with Paul and his mission team, but it's very relevant to us and to our church. Let's take a look at this, this strategy for missions. And the first part of it involves reaching cities. Now, I want us to camp here for a moment because this is a recurring thing in Acts, isn't it? But you notice that, that Paul and his, his mission team are going into these major cities with the the gospel. So we see that um, in, in verse 1, it says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So he's leaving one major Greek city and going to another major uh, city. And that was his strategy. It was to reach cities. It's not that Paul didn't care about people in the country. It's just that he knew that if the gospel would penetrate the cities that it was going to have a ripple effect, that it was going to be like a stone being thrown into a calm pond, that the ripples were going to go out, and that if the cities were reached, then also uh, the country and the whole region was going to be reached with the gospel. Now, this has a great relevance for us as well, because our church is such a generous church in giving to missions and in going on mission trips. And so we need to understand that the world that we live in today 
is to a greater extent than ever is, is, is moving to the cities. And so this has to be a big part of our strategy. It's a big part of the International Mission Board strategy, the North American Mission Board's uh, strategy, um, and so we're going to talk about that. But what is God doing today? Where are, where are people moving today? This is kind of, of, of fascinating, but I, I want to kind of blow your mind with a couple of stats here. Here's one. In 1900, 10% of the world's people lived in cities. By 2050, 75% of the world's people will live in cities. Cities are cultural and business hubs. Um, people move there for business. We saw this in chapter 16, right? When Lydia, this businesswoman from Thyatira, she's living in Philippi because she's doing business there. Cities are regionally influencing, the, re, the ripple effect like we talked about. Cities contain lots of people that are physically and spiritually in need. The cities are very needy, both physically and greatly in need of the gospel. It's where the least amount of gospel churches are. And cities contain many people that are open to the gospel. Now, here's something else that we need to be aware of. Of the 6,500 unreached people groups in the world, 88% of them are in the 1040 window. Now, when we talk about an unreached people group, those are people groups that have little or no access to the gospel. There are approximately 6,500 such people groups on, on earth. Okay, 88% of those unreached people groups are in that rectangle that you see on the screen. How does that relate to cities? For this reason. Of the world's 34 mega cities, cities with more than 10 million people, 22 of them are in that rectangle, in the 1040 window. Of the world's 500 cities with more than a million people, 300 of those cities are in that rectangle, in that 1040 window, the, the least reached part of the world. So what that means is that the most unreached people in the world are, are moving to these cities. Now that means that the International Mission Board, which our church generously supports, we support it every week through our giving to our budget, big part of that, goes to the International Mission Board. We support it through the Lottie Moon offering um, at Christmas time. All of that goes to the International Mission Board. We have, an, uh, through our regular giving, we, we support the North American Mission Board as well. And through the Annie Armstrong um, offering, we support the North American Mission Board. This is really encouraging, and you need to know it. Your mission boards, okay, the the International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board, are all over this. The IMB has something called the Global Cities Initiative. It, it means that, that, that there is a massive focus on reaching people in these cities in the least reached part of the world. The North American Mission Board has something called Send North America. It means that we're putting a huge emphasis on planting churches in cities like New York 
and uh, Los Angeles. Our church, uh, 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 very personally, has been involved uh, in the last couple of years with church plants in Baltimore and in Boston that are a part of that Send North America effort. So listen, you can be confident that your mission's dollars are being leveraged in the most strategic way um, to, to reach these people in the cities for Christ because as go the cities, so go the, the nations. Now, our own mission statement as a church is to glorify Christ by making disciples who make disciples in our community and around the world. Let's think about our community. So, one of the most um, amazing stats when we think about all of this urbanization that is taking place is that the fastest growing cities, you know, we've talked about, you know, cities of the millions, but, but what we're seeing um, and, and, and what studies are telling us clearly is that the fastest growing cities over these next few decades are actually going to be the cities with 500,000 people or less. And if you're following the local news, you know that Suffolk is going to be one of those cities. You know, you've, you've, if you've been reading uh, the local news or seeing what, what's, uh, what's on, on the local news, you know that in these next years coming up, that the, the fastest growing area in coastal Virginia is going to be here. And I don't just mean northern Suffolk. I mean here at our doorstep. God is going to be bringing people our way. And we've taken some steps as a church to be positioned for the future with the renovations and additions that we've done to our building. But listen, we want to make sure that our ministries and that our hearts are ready for the people that God is going to be bringing to this city. You know, we've got a team going to uh, one, of those, one of those mega cities of the world, Bangkok, in just a, a couple of weeks. That's a city of 10 million or, or more. Um, and uh, there's an amazing story that happened in another city in Thailand, in, in Pattaya, Thailand, a, a few years ago. Many of you have heard uh, the song that was popularized by Chris Tomlin called God of This City. Um, and there's an amazing story behind it. There's an Irish band called the Blue Tree, Christian band. And they were part of something called Patia Praise. It was a, it was a mission trip to uh, Thailand in the city of Patia. Patia, Thailand was a lot like Corinth, where uh, Paul is in, in Acts 18. It, it, it is a center of, uh, of, the, the, of sex trafficking, of, of prostitution. There are just thousands of, of little girls that are, that are brought there. It, it's just, it, is, it is one of the darkest places on earth. So anyway, this Christian band, Blue Tree, is on this mission trip. And somehow, through a connection, um, they, make, they make an, an arrangement uh, to, to go and play in this bar in the heart of the red light district in, in Pattaya. And they were going to have this, this bar for the night. They were going to bring in these Christians, you know, and drink Coca-Cola. And they were going to play Jesus songs right in the heart of, of the red light district of Pattaya. 
And so they did that, and people were just out on the street, and they were stopping, and they were like, what is this? What are all these songs about Jesus that we hear uh, blasting out? And, and as they were playing that night, the lead singer of this, of this band said so the, the words just came to him as they were in the middle of all of this darkness in this dark city. The words just came to him. You're the light in this darkness. You're the hope for the hopeless. Greater things are yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in this city. And may it be so in our city and in cities all over the world, reaching cities. It's a big part of their strategy. Second, working as teams. Working as teams. Let's, let's check out verses 2 and following. It says that he, he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So at this point, we are introduced to this married couple that is going to be such a huge part of Paul's life and a huge part of this mission team going forward in Acts. So the deal was they were from Rome. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla were Jewish by birth. They had come to believe in Jesus as their Messiah, probably while they were still in Rome. And in 49 AD, the Roman emperor Claudius expelled all the Jewish people from Rome. So some 50,000 people instantly became refugees, and they scattered out to cities all over the region. And in the providence of God, Priscilla and Aquila ended up in Corinth, right in the path of where the Apostle Paul was going. And not only did they share a love for Jesus, but they shared the same trade. They were all tent makers by trade. And God just knit their hearts to, to Paul's heart. And they became an, an integral uh, part of his team. And so, listen, this is the amazing providence of God, isn't it? Because Claudius does this terrible thing, this anti-Semitic thing, expels all these uh, Jewish people from Rome. They have, they're refugees. They have to scatter all around and God is going to put this couple right in the place where they can meet Paul and become just a huge part of the, of the movement of the gospel. We've seen God do this before in Acts, right? What happened earlier in Acts when the terrible persecution broke out against the Christians in Jerusalem? What happened? They were scattered. They became refugees. They were scattered all over Judea and Samaria and beyond. And as they were scattered, what did they do? They went out proclaiming the gospel. And so Satan meant to stifle the spread of the gospel by this persecution. But in reality, what happened? It only served to spread the gospel even more. Um, you know, and we're seeing that in our world today, uh, as tragic 
as the refugee crisis is that is happening in the Middle East today, what's happening is that you know these people are are are, are leaving areas where it's extre- there's extremely difficult you know to send. Uh, missionaries and things, and they're moving into areas where they have far more access to the gospel and where the gospel can be openly shared. And many of these people are, are coming to Christ, and, and, and what are they going to do? They're going to take the gospel wherever they end up in the world. And so again, God takes what the enemy intends for evil. He turns it around, uses it for good. He does that constantly in our own lives. There's so many times when we're like, God, what are you doing? I can't understand what you're doing. And then later on, we see that, you know, God took that thing in our lives that was so disappointing and so painful um, and so difficult to get through. And God took that very thing and just turned it around and used it for his glory. And that's what he does here. These people are brutally kicked out of their homes, you know, kicked out of Rome. They end up in Corinth, right in the path of, of Paul, and they become this incredible team for Christ. And uh, just to get a flavor of the relationship that Paul had with them, let's look at another text. Look at Romans 16 in verses 3 and following. Paul here at the end of Romans says, Greet Prisca, she was sometimes called Priscilla, sometimes Prisca. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church and their house. So here we see that by this, by this time, when Paul writes Romans, that Uh, Priscilla and Aquila are back in Rome, and what are they doing? They're hosting a house church. They've opened their home for the believers to to meet there. Paul also says of them that they risked their necks for my life. I mean, this couple had been with him through thick and thin. I mean, they were there. They had put their lives on the line for him. And he says here, that not only do I give thanks to them, but all the churches of the Gentiles. In other words, they had become part of the traveling mission team with Paul and had gone with him to impact other cities, including the city of Ephesus, which we're going to talk more about in chapter 19. But let's look at uh, something that he says uh, later on in chapter 18 about them uh, in verses 24 and 26. Paul says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And so here's another major figure in the spread of the gospel in the first century, Apollos, but he's a babe in Christ. He's new in the Lord. And so when he comes to Ephesus, he begins to speak boldly, but as mature believers, Aquila and Priscilla see, you know, we need to, we need to decide, he needs to be discipled even more. We need, to, we need to kind of give him some more instruction. And it's just one example of, of how important this couple was to the spread of the gospel. 
Now, we can derive uh, several things from the, the, the team that we see that is working in Corinth and, and, in, and in Ephesus. First of all, ministry is best done in teams. As brilliant and as energetic as the Apostle Paul was, you notice that he never flies solo. He, he, he always tries to work with a, a team to advance the, the gospel. He's a team player. So ministry is best done in teams. Here's another principle that we see. The vital role of women. We saw this in the Gospel of Mark, didn't we? You see it in all four Gospels. That some of the most faithful followers of Jesus, some of the most um, uh, crucial members of his team in the Gospels were women. And Jesus treated women with a respect and with a dignity um, that was just unheard of, really, in the first century. And we're seeing the same pattern in Acts. In chapter 16, we met Lydia, this businesswoman uh, who was saved in Philippi. She opens up her home, uh, becomes really the, her, her home becomes really the, the hub of the gospel in Philippi. And now we're, we're seeing the, the incredible role that Priscilla played in the advance of the gospel as well. Here's another principle, the vital role of godly couples and singles. Whenever you see Aquila and Priscilla mentioned, they're always mentioned together. This husband and wife are a a team for the advance of the gospel. I want to encourage you, if you're you're married and both of you love the Lord, I want to encourage you to think of your marriage as more than just an opportunity to live out the American dream, but an opportunity to live out God's dreams. I want you to think of your marriage as a team for the king. Because a husband and wife together, and our church is you know, blessed with, with uh, some incredible marriages that have stood the test of time, you know, as, as long as 70 years um, in, in some cases. Incredible ex- examples, but listen, Be a team for the Lord, a husband and wife united in love for Jesus and doing ministry together can just accomplish incredible things for the Lord. Aquila and Priscilla are a great example of that. But listen, the other part of this team that we're talking about here, the Apostle Paul, was single. And our Lord Jesus was single, (laughs) Sometimes in the church, we, we're guilty of just kind of, we talk so much about marriage, you know, and so much about family, and, you know, um, appropriately so. Um, marriages and families uh, need a lot of help and a lot of instruction, but sometimes we don't talk enough about, um, about the vital role of people who are single. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 that there are opportunities that singles have, uh, there is a, a freedom that you have uh, to, to, to move and to go places and to, to, to do things um, that are, are not there. You know, when later on, when there's a marriage or, or family or whatever that is involved. And so listen, the way that God can use singles is just, it's just incredible. Um, and so whether you're called to singleness for your life, or whether you're single right now in your life, listen, God can use you as a single person in incredible ways. 
The point is whatever station of life we're in, okay, single, married, whatever age we're, we're at, you know, if you are a senior adult, sometimes senior adults think, ah, oh, my time is kind of, you know, I'm, I'm so limited in what I can do. Listen, you've got the opportunity, you've got wisdom <laughs> from years of experience, you can You've got the time to pray. In many cases, you've got resources to give. These years of your life can just be some of the most fruitful years for the advance of the gospel in whatever station of life you're in right now. God's got incredible things that he can do through you. And that's part of what we see here in this, this, this team. So working as teams. Third, being encouraged by a faithful God. So, we see in, in Corinth that uh, God gave to Paul some great allies, right, in Aquila and Priscilla. But, as in every city, um, he, Paul also had opponents. And we, we see here in verse 6 that they opposed him, they reviled him, and so he's got these opponents, he's ministering in the context of this incredibly spiritually dark place, um, and it could be discouraging. And life in a broken world can be discouraging, can it? Because we're in a battle. We're in a battle. We're, we're living in a world that is broken. And so we're in a battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay, we've got to deal with a world that is often hostile to the gospel. We've got to deal with our own flesh, our own sinful nature, okay? And then we've got a supernatural enemy, the devil, uh, who's attacking us as well. And when you put all of those things together, it can be very discouraging. Discouragement is one of those things that, that we, we wrestle with as, as believers. And, and, and I believe at this point in his life, Paul was really wrestling with discouragement. And that's why we need Barnabases. <laughs> we need sons and daughters of encouragement. Because you can impact another person's life so much just by being an encourager to them like Barnabas was. And that's why in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says to the church, therefore encourage one another and build one another up. So be always on the lookout for how you can lift somebody else up, how you can encourage them. We can do that for one another. But listen, our ultimate encourager is God himself. That's one of the meanings of the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, the paraclete, he comes alongside us. He's our comforter, our counselor, our refresher, our encourager. And we're going to see how God does that in a very special way here in, in Paul's life. Let's look at verses 9 through 11. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. So how does God encourage Paul in this vision, in this dream on this night? First of all, he tells him, do not be afraid. It's one of those oft-repeated commands in Scripture is, fear not. So the first thing God tells him is, do not be afraid. But why would God tell Paul that unless God knew 
that Paul was tempted to be afraid. He was tempted to be afraid. I mean, he wasn't just some guy who shows up in these cities and he's dealing with all this persecution and he never feels an ounce of fear. I don't think that was the case. Um, I think he did feel fear. The second thing that God says to him here is, go on speaking and do not be silent. But why would God say that to him unless he knew that Paul was tempted to be silent? I think he was tempted to be silent. I mean, he's going into city after city. He's he's being beaten, stoned, reviled, you know, sometimes thrown in in, in prison. I mean, don't you think the temptation would have been there to just kind of be a little less vocal about the gospel? I'm sure he, he felt that temptation. So we've all been there, right? All of us know what it's like to be afraid. All of us know what it's like to be tempted to clam up and not boldly speak the gospel when we should, to commit the sin of silence. All of us know what those things are like. But listen, here's the ultimate promise from God. Paul says to Paul, uh, God says to Paul, and he says to us, I am with you. I am with you. Isaiah 41 and verse 10, God says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now let's look at something else that Paul says in in, in verse 10. God says to him, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. What is God saying here? Well, most scholars believe that, that, that God is referring here to people in Corinth who were not yet Christians, but God knew that they were going to be followers of Jesus. And there are people all around us just like that. There are people like that in your life. Some of those people maybe that you wrote down at the beginning of the year on that card that you're going to be praying for and sharing the gospel with. Listen, when you see lost people, don't just think of them as as how they are, who they are now. Imagine them as who they could be. Who they could be by the grace of God. Let's pray. I want to encourage you to, um, some of you have that card where you wrote down names of people that you're, that you're praying for and sharing the gospel with this year. If you have that, take it out. Um, if not, I want you to think in your mind's eye of people in your life, family members, relatives, neighbors, friends, um, people that you work with or go to school with, um, people that, that need the Lord, people that you interact with, you know, maybe at a store or at a, uh, at a, at a restaurant or a coffee shop that you frequent. Um, let those minds come before uh, your, your mind's eye. I want you to pray for them today and pray that God would give you the opportunity uh, to share with them. And I want you to, to think 
not just of who they maybe are right now, but what could, what could, what could an almighty God, what could the Savior do in, in their lives? You know, God promises Paul and promises us, I will be with you. And he has been with us in the ultimate way because he came to us. Our God is not remote. He came to us. He became a human being who lived the perfect life that we could never live in our place and then died in our place, took our sins on himself and paid the penalty and rose from the dead so that new life can be ours. If you're here today and you need to say, I need to follow Jesus. We saw someone be baptized as a believer earlier in the service. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know, I need to follow through. I, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's my savior. You need to follow through with believer's baptism. And if that's the case, as we stand and sing, I want to invite you to, to come and just share. Or share with us after the service or whatever. We want to come alongside you and just talk with you and pray with you. would love to be a part of you following in obedience to the Lord by being baptized as a believer. Some of you need to come today and say, I need to follow Jesus Christ. I need, I need to give my life to him. You come. We're here for you. Maybe you're here today and you need to come and say, I, want to, I need to be a part of this church family as we seek to be a team for Christ in this community and impacting the world for him. We want to invite you to come. So Father, speak now during this time of invitation. We give our lives to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. 
I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.